You're listening to a feed of the Association of Music Podcasting at musicpodcasting.org. Welcome to the Urban Awesome Podcast. It's so fantastic. It's so simple. Okay, let's do it. All right, let's see what we can see. Everybody online, looking good. The Urban Awesome Podcast. Hi there, I'm Chris Retro, and this is the Urban Awesome Street Photography Podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to you wherever you are in the world, whatever time zone you're in, from New York to Berlin. In this show, I have the great pleasure to speak with Mr. Michael Ernest Sweet. Uh, Michael is a fantastic street photographer, and if you don't know, he's uh, published uh, a couple of books that are just wonderful. I really like his style, and he really conveys the close-up, personable, um, candid style of street photography that I really admire. I mean, it really takes some balls to actually do that style and pull it off and do it very, very well. And Michael really does cover that exceptionally well. In upcoming shows, episode five, we have uh, Thomas Luthard from Co-op, uh, fantastic street photographer. Also, uh, episode six, we have Nicholas Gooden from Street Photo London and uh, episode 7 special edition also very special guest can't tell you who it is now but uh, someone from the photographic journal um, yeah just confirming that so the podcasts are gaining popularity thank you all for your support please do subscribe via the usual channels follow me on twitter at chris retro photo but for now enough chat let's go live and direct over from berlin straight over to new york and chat with michael ernest sweet the Urban Awesome Podcast. Good afternoon, Michael. Hi, good afternoon. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Yeah, thanks for joining us on the Urban Awesome Podcast. So just tell us a bit about yourself. Tell us a bit about how you got into photography and, and yeah, and how you get so close to your subject matter. Mm. <laughs> well, there's a lot there in that one question. Yeah. Um, I, I've been photographing um, since the age of about 10 or 12, something like this, mm-hmm. when I discovered that uh, my grandmother had um, a 110 uh, pocket camera which I found quite fascinating. And um, I started playing around with that and made some photographs, some of which I, I still have from that 110. So um, okay. that was sort of my introduction to photography. Uh, Mark Cohen um, has been a, you know quite a strong influence on my work. And uh, I've had the um, good fortune of interacting with him some in the past few years uh, by correspondence. And um, as I've, you know, sort of interacted with him more, I've, I've, to respect him more and um, his work uh, became more and more of an influence to me and I don't think when you look at my work you exactly see a copy of, of Mark Cohen by any means but I do think that um, he's probably the most present influence um, in, in my work in terms of especially focusing in on the human fragment rather than uh, necessarily um, so, so that was that was part of it. I had to get in close in order to achieve the fragmented view of the person that I was looking for because I was not interested in um, capturing, uh, you know, sort of the, the, the typical street portrait, which seems to be um, 
so plentiful, if I can put it that way, um, in the genre today. And uh, I just wanted to do something different. And, and I also find that, especially here in New York City, I'm sure it's true anywhere, but um, there's a lot of things that are very unique about people here um, that are not necessarily tied to facial features or most specifically their eyes, so to speak. So mm -hmm. you can make very compelling photographs of people on the street um, and not have their eyes present in the photograph, but you have enough other things in the photograph that the personality fills itself in. Uh, and we sort of get an, get an idea of who we're looking at. Um, so that, that was... That was part of the process. I do have to say, though, that I did start um, fairly up close from the beginning in terms uh, of, uh, you know, the fact I was using a 28 millimeter from the from the word go, uh, 2009, that is. Um, I was I, I was and still am using uh, the Ricoh GR uh, series of cameras. And, and so I was always using a 28 millimeter. And, um, you know, if you don't get up close to a certain degree, you know, you don't, you don't get much of anything in the frame. So, um, but definitely there was a, a time where I was, yes, as you say, gradually moving in closer and closer and closer to the point where, um, you know, my subjects could smell my camera, literally. Um, it, you, you know, if you look at some of my frames um, and you remember I'm using a 28 millimeter, yeah, I think that, um, well, in some ways it's, it's I think, quite congruent with my life as a photographer. I started, you know, out with a 110 camera. Um, I then used, as I say, a GR and, and a number of other compacts prior to <clears throat> being sold on the GRs. Um, I have never really used uh, very complicated cameras. I have owned them. Um, you know, I've owned a Hasselblad. Um, I've owned, you know, several M-series Leicas. Um, I've owned, um, uh, Pentax K1000 and the like Pentax MX and those kind of cameras. I never really took to them very well. They usually sat at home and collected dust and then were resold, uh, time and time again. Um, I just naturally seem to be, um, suited for something that's compact and discreet, easy to carry around. Yeah. And easy to use. Yeah, uh, I'm not a fan of of all the technical complications of photography, mm. uh, as some of my critics will happily point out in my work. Things are not always technically correct. Um, I don't know. I I seem to come from the point of view where if it's a good picture, it doesn't necessarily have to be. You know, it can be slightly out of focus. It can be something going on. You know, a slight blur <laughs> motion with it because it's. You know, it's street photography, and I, I tend to think it's one of the hardest forms of photography out there. You know, I did a, a podcast with John Free, and he said it's the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life is street photography. Yes, um, <clears throat> I do think it, it it is part of part of the reason that that we are, don't need to be so concerned with the technicalities um, is the genre indeed itself, and as you've described, the nature of of being on the street and capturing life and so on. And, and, and some may even argue um, that a bit of blur, for example, uh, accentuates the movement and the fluidity that is naturally present on the street, um, mm -hmm. which is why work such as you know, William Klein, for example, 
um, is so resonant because there's a there's a type of action or movement that's present in his work. Um, following on from that, um, does it explain your your kind of um, your style and yeah, and, and what, how you work when you go out? I normally stay moving, um, and uh, I like that. I don't know why I like that, but um, in New York, I don't get a lot of pleasure out of uh, being stationary in one particular place and waiting for something to unfold. Um, one of my you know greatest friends, um, Jonathan Higby, who's a street photographer here in New York, um, does a lot of that opposite situation. Um, you know, stays in one place, waits for a scene to unfold, and does it brilliantly and has wonderful photographs. Um, but for me, it's like I'm constantly on the hunt for the next thing. I, I want to I want to find it, I want to hunt it out, I want to track it down because I don't have the confidence that it's going to come to me. Um, and of course, in the vast majority of my work, as anybody who has seen it well knows, um, the background is not relevant necessarily. Uh, I'm not looking for a beautiful sunset to unfold behind me um, or any of those such things. I'm looking for um, that fragment um, of a person or that fragment of an urban situation. And I just feel that constantly moving is a better, um, approach for me. And, and even when I f am photographing, I don't normally stop. And there are various reasons for that too. I don't want to draw attention to the fact that I'm making a photograph. So I'm going to stop and, you know, stand in front of somebody and make a photograph becomes a very deliberate act. So um, normally I continue moving. The person also continues moving. We're usually in opposite directions, obviously. And um, I very quickly raise the camera, um, sometimes to eye level to use a viewfinder. 50, 60% of the time I don't use a viewfinder. Um, it's 28 millimeter. I know how the camera sees. I don't really need to, to see the viewfinder. Um, and, and this all happens in a fraction of a, of a, of a second, which to a photographer is actually quite slow, but, um, <laughs> one, two thousandths of a second, um, and, and they're gone and I'm gone and, and that's the way it works. Um, do you normally take, um, just a single shot? Yeah. Well, first of all, I've never used a camera that's really been capable of <laughs> taking too many, uh, frames in too short of a period of time. Um, and also growing up uh, with film, um, I think a lot of us were probably um, trained to sort of think a little bit about the frame that we're going to expose, uh, taking some time to decide whether or not we were going to commit that moment to a frame of film or not. And I still think that way, even though I'm using digital. I, 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 I think of shutter counts as wasted film. <laughs> Um, you know, um, I'm, I'm wasting film or I'm wearing out my camera or whatever. I'm very conscious of, um, of, of firing the shutter. I actually have a moment where I think, is this a waste of a shutter count, which makes no sense, but that's the way I think. And, um, Cartier uh, Preston would say the decisive moment, the decisive moment. Yeah. I'm not sure there's always a, well, yes and no. I mean, do, do you sometimes, if you go out and sometimes you think you've got, the, you think you've nailed it, you know, 
that's it i've nailed it now i'm happy i'm a happy man now (laughs) i can i can go home happy you know without you know whether you have nailed it or not you don't know until you maybe do post-production or whatever but um right um yeah but that's certainly and 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 also i still shoot some film and um and, and so that's a concern and then also i remember um uh, Bill Eggleston, you know, William Eggleston saying once that, um, you know, he only ever takes one photograph of one thing. Um, and this is something that I heard years ago. And so I've, it, it really stuck with me in terms of, and his explanation for that was that, um, you know, if you make multiple frames of one subject, you just mire yourself down in trying to decide what is the better frame. Um, and there's all this wasted time on, you know, this is a little better. That's what, and he said. So I, ne- I, I just take one frame of one thing, and I have it, or I don't have it, and it's on to the next thing. Yes. And um, that's very much the way I work too. Is that you know, I especially even with static subjects, I go in, I make one frame of something that caught my eye. I either got it or I didn't get it or whatever. I usually don't even look at it. And um, at that moment, you know, my screen is usually off on my camera. I don't usually keep the screen on. And, um, and and then that's the way it is because I think that uh, you know I have nothing against people who are you know have an affinity to burst mode if that works for them. Um, I don't think that there's particularly great skill photographically. Again, not that that's required, but I don't think that it's great skill in, in putting a camera on burst mode and, and aiming it at the world. Yes, you will get something eventually. Um, but yeah, I can only imagine the quantity of editing that a person has to try and do in order to work that way. Um, hard drive space and all this kind of stuff often in having zillions of photographs. Um, you know, my photographic archive at the moment, um, I think it's 861 uh, photographs that are in my my permanent archive at the moment right. so okay. you know that's 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 not that's bad not, yeah that's, <laughs> that's under the thousand mark yeah <laughs> um, you know a lot of people will say that a great photographer not that i'm a great photographer but that a great photographer in his or her lifetime will make perhaps 10 or 15 truly you know great photographs um and i've always kept that in the back of my mind too if i'm only going to make 10 or 15 of these things why do I need 17,000 of them on my hard drive? So I'm, I'm very quick to, um, to hit the delete button. I've, I've deleted and, and thrown away massive amounts of photographs because I, I, they're, they're, they're never going to be of any value to anyone. Um, they're not even of any value to me. So out they go. And, uh, and so when someone, you know, if I were to die tomorrow morning and someone looked at you know, opened my photos and looked at the photos, I think at least that, you know, in terms of what I produce, what's there is, uh, you know, sort of the top 10% of what I've captured over the last eight years. I was going to say, have you ever had any, you must have had some instances living in New York, you know, tell us a story or two, Michael. Adverse reactions, you know, to you being, you know, <laughs> as close as you do get, you know, to your subject matter. Yeah. Well, one thing that certainly is often annoying is that, um, you know, I don't have a lot of conflicts on the street, to be honest. But when I do have them, um, the thing that's usually annoying is the photograph usually isn't worth fighting for. Um, it almost 
invariably it almost happens at the you know it almost happens with the photographs that are not particularly yeah. good always mm. um so usually you know especially if i'm working digitally i i just you know okay yeah you didn't like that here let's delete it and go our separate ways and 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 this is over yeah um mm. there have been instances where um and and literally three or four over six or seven years but there has been three or four instances where um you know i've taken a really great photograph um because i see it you know i bring it up and i you know because i i know what's coming so i take a look at the photograph and it's something that i'm not willing to delete um then uh you know i mean as long as i'm not you know the guy is not seven feet tall and russian um or, or, armed. Know, yeah. <laughs> or, or, or all of the above <laughs> yeah like Tony Island, um, you know, then, then I, you know, call the police. Um, I'll wait and you call the police and try to make your argument that I need to delete this photo because I know the law is on my side. Um, in New York City, we can photograph anything in public, public view, which is actually um, rather interesting because, uh, you know, I have a friend who has, and his, and his work is, is, is beautiful. His name is Arnie Svensson. Um, and uh, he made a body of work shooting into people's windows. Um, and uh, it was a glass condo building that he lived or had a studio opposite. Um, and he used telephoto lens to shoot into people's windows and made a gorgeous body of work. Um, there are no faces featured in the work. He is very, very discreet and very... Um, the work is just graceful and elegant, and uh, and no one can be identified. However, people in that building did launch a lawsuit, um, and and you know he got mired down in it, and and ultimately, um, the judge, or I think it was even one of the appellate judges in New York, said, um, you know, if you want privacy, you need to close the curtains. Um, so the message was basically that people can photograph you in your home through the windows if you leave the windows open because it's public view. So it's rulings like that which really um, gives you know gives one confidence in New York to stand their ground and and you know. Um, but it's always sort of a question of I feel it's always sort of a question of what kind of photograph you're making. And um, coincidentally, that is also something that they will look at if it ever does make its way before a court. That is something they will look at. What type of photograph did you make and what, not were my intentions necessarily, but when one looks at the photograph, what does one think the intentions behind the photograph are? So, you know, if you're on the beach and you're photographing someone's rear end only and that person takes issue and it winds up in the court, um, that may be harder to defend um, than if you took a, a, a more normal, let's say, photograph of, of a scene that unfolded before you in some sort of natural way. I mean, it may be hard to escape the argument that you were chasing this person around to take a photo of their rear end. And so, and, and probably I would be the first one getting in trouble for some of that stuff, but, um, you know, because sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm photographing the fragment and um, that may be harder to explain. But I think people, street photographers who do very typical, you know, HCB kind of street scenes, mm -hmm. um, 
at least in the state of New York, would 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 always um, be able to escape any sort of litigation because uh, right. because primarily because of the intent behind the photograph. Hmm. Yeah, I read that you did um, lo-fi street photography. Tell us a bit about that. Um, yeah, well, I've worked with uh, two lo-fi, if that's what we want to call them, um, cameras particularly. I worked with a, a camera called the Harina Zumi, which is a <clears throat> little Japanese camera that actually looks like a uh, 110 film canister. Um, so it was, it was interesting to me, having come from very early on from 110 film, it was kind of reminiscent. And, and it's also designed to try and replicate the look of 110 uh, film and it, and it, it's successful in so far as that it produces you know very low resolution uh, grainy kind of images um, so I worked with the Harina Zumi at, at Coney Island I made the book called uh, Michael Sweet's Coney Island entirely with that camera um, mm -hmm. and it was perfectly suited to that environment because the camera does not work well um, in low light, as one can imagine. Yes. Uh, I think it was a three megapixel, okay. uh, probably F11 or something right. along these lines. <laughs> if you're not in blazing sunshine, yeah. <laughs> um, the camera will either be very blurry or be very slow. Yeah. So, I, I, I love the fact that all the people look really sunburned you know, in these pictures. Yeah. The other unique quality of this camera is that um, it, it produces extremely saturated images um, and it does so natively. I mean, these are these are all directly from the camera. There's not enough resolution to be able to post-process anything. So mm -hmm. either the, the, the either the photograph was usable or it wasn't. The only thing the publisher did in, in in working on that book is is had to lighten some of the photographs because the printing process was going to darken them because uh, it was a color uh, printing process, um, and we didn't use. Again, because this was a, a cheap toy camera, I was not willing to, well, actually it wasn't me, it was the publisher, I think, who was not willing to spend millions of dollars putting this into high glossy, you know, technically perfect reproductions. Um, so we re reproduced that book on a fairly low grade color paper. Um, and uh, But it worked because the feel of the photography was was very much congruent with the, the quality of, of how it was reproduced. Um, anyway, so all we did was we looked at the photographs and it was a yes or a no. And if it was a yes, it either had to be lightened or it didn't. And that was it. We were on to the next photo. Um, and that was a very refreshing way to work. Um, I shot that whole project in one, uh, one summer. Um, I started early in the season and I went pretty much to the end of that season um, several days a week in the thick of it and, um, and just, you know, shot and shot and shot. And, and the thing that was great about that camera, um, was its size. Again, we're talking about a camera that fits into the palm of your hand. doesn't even really look like a camera. So I was able to get very close to people, um, without the sort of, confrontation that would normally arise when I was using a GR. I mean, people see the GR, it's small, yes, but they know it's a camera. And a lot of the work I did with the GR, I also used viewfinder. So that, you know, also makes a, a very noticeable um, intention. But 
with the uh, Harina Zumi, I, there is no viewfinder, first of all, and I didn't use one. I just shot from the hip with it, and it being very small, I was able to um, produce a lot of interesting work that otherwise would have been difficult with any other camera. Hmm. And as you mentioned, um, the oversaturation of the photographs, uh, you know, is, is, is particularly well suited to not only a beach environment where people are sort of, you know, getting sunburned, but also um, Coney Island in general, because Coney Island was the largest theme park in the United States in its heyday. Um, it is now very much sort of a rundown kind of inner city escape for generally lower income people. And so it has a very hard kind of feel to the atmosphere. And in no way does it feel like any kind of a upscale resort. It, it has very hard, rough um, edge to it. And that camera was able to really capture that, um, that almost post-apocalyptic feel of this run-down beach, you know. Um, if you had any advice to anyone listening um, to, in, in, to enable them to do that, how, what would you suggest? Um, I think the thing that's been key to me in, in all of these projects is experimentation. And um, it's a bit of a double-edged sword because one wants to, uh, on one hand, develop a very tight signature or um, sort of a look in your photography that, that you become known for. You want your photographs to be identifiable. Um, and that's something that I, you know, I've worked very hard on, of course, in, in my work is to try and have that recognizable aesthetic. But at the same time, uh, you have to keep trying new, new things and different things. Excellent. Well, listen, Michael, we'll have to wrap it up there, but it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, sir. Okay, yeah, so let's be in touch anyway, Michael. All the best. Okay. Um, all Take right. care, Chris. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. The Urban Awesome Street Photography Podcast with your host, Chris Retro. You're listening to a feed of the Association of Music Podcasting at musicpodcasting.org. 